Well, we started Sunday on a, a mini uh, mini series, I guess you'd call it, about Oh Say Can You See, and it's talking. We've been talking about the importance of the things you see. So, therefore, it's also important what you are you looking at. You know, and I've, I've used several sports analogies, and, and I probably use another one or two tonight because because uh, I've got the microphone and you don't. So, uh, we'll we'll see. But I know that uh, in the Christian school where I used to teach, we had a they had excellent basketball teams all the time, and uh, sometimes the, when a, a young man would be up at the free throw line and shoot a free throw, he'd shoot if he'd miss, the coach would yell, "What are you looking at?" And that's, you know, that's the thing. Because usually what you look at, you hit. And it's, it's true in life. The things that you focus on are the things that, that are drawn to you. But I want to say something, um, that I, it's been on my heart for a long time. I shared this with our, our Wednesday group that we, we teach on Skype in Hungary and Romania. But the time is coming because people wonder why, why is he teaching this? Why is he, like right now we're teaching on the love of God in, in, uh, on Wednesdays, but we're teaching here on the importance of what you see. And it's because the time is coming and may already be here that your beliefs will be challenged like they never have before. I really believe that. There's, there have been so many things that, that the Lord is showing us, but your faith is going to need to be in place to be able to stand up to what the enemy is going to be trying to bring against us. We, we have a mean enemy and he doesn't play fair. And we need to be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing in order to, to be on top when this, this is all over. That's why it's so important to pay attention to what you're looking at, what you're listening to, who you're following, because if your foundation is weak, you're not going to be able to stand. I believe we are in the last of the last days. And, uh, you know, I know how many times I've heard people say, well, I never thought I'd live to see something like this going on in this country. Well, neither have I. But it's not just this country. I believe it's worldwide. The enemy wants to dominate with his system in the whole earth. And it's not going to happen. Amen. So let's pray and we'll get back into this message. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that Your Word is true and it's tested. Father, thank You. I, I just ask You to speak through me, to, uh, to anoint me with, with Your uh, power to, to preach the Word with boldness, that, Lord, that what's on Your heart comes through. Not, not things that I might have, but, Father, this is You speaking to Your children. We are Your sheep. We hear your voice, the voice of another. We will not follow. And I thank you, Father, that you're anointing me to, to speak your word, but you're anointing every ear to hear and every heart to receive that precious seed of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the challenge for me is, is trying to teach a, a 12-hour series in three short sessions. So you're going to have to listen fast tonight, okay? No, I, I won't do that to you, but I, I, I do have to kind of, I'm not going to review too much from what we've already covered 
uh, it would be good if you'd just go back and listen to those uh, other teachings again. But I'd like us to go to a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is the Apostle Paul talking here. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. And, and this is the end of, of something he's been teaching here. But it says, while we do not look, look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, if, if you're just casually reading that, you might wonder, how can you see what you can't see? And remember one of the illustrations that I gave you was Ben Carson's mother. Ben, you've got to see beyond what you can see. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. The things that are not seen are the things that are that are spiritual but they are they last they're eternal they they don't they don't just come and go like some of the things we see with our natural eyes um, part of what we've been talking about is is the the importance of of hearing and understanding being able to hear because words are thought carriers and while there are a lot of different languages if if you don't if that language, if that word doesn't paint a picture or, or give, you, give you some kind of a picture to help you understand, it's meaningless. It's just a sound in the air. And so we're, we're trying to make sure that, that we speak sounds that paint the right picture and that we understand and hear what, what the Spirit is trying to say to us. Because the enemy has his, his uh, message coming nonstop. All you have to do is turn on the news and, and you see a lot of that. But... Uh, we know that in Romans 10:17 it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God because when you hear you see I mean it, it, just as I've been teaching this I know that I've had some comments about how yeah it does it does paint a picture we talked about the little dog that uh, actually it was a big dog by the time we got done with the description uh, about uh, the adding words to to p- make the picture clearer and it's it's important that we have the right picture so we can move on and then psalm 119 verse 130 we talked about this already the entrance of your word gives light it gives understanding to the simple <coughs> excuse me there's nothing more important than getting the word of god planted in your heart i believe that with all my heart that that uh, you know, we can, we can go around our daily business and there are a lot of things that seem important, but there's nothing more important because when you are, you know, I, I, I give this illustration a lot of times. You, you are kind of like a sponge. And the, the Bible says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And, and as a sponge, whatever's in that sponge, whatever is, when you squeeze it, whatever's in it, is what comes out. And if you're full of uh, uh, hate and bitterness, that's what comes out. If you're full of love, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, if you're full of the Word of God, that's what comes out. And that's that's what we want to aim for. Now, there are so many illustrations that we can use. I've already used a few. But I want to get a little personal right now and talk about... Uh, <laughs> Kind of sounds funny. I want to talk about me. No, I, I want to talk about 
some 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 things that that I had to go through, and my wife and I together, uh, because it, it really has a lot to do with where we are today. And that was back in uh, 1997. Uh, well, even a little before that, you know, my wife had been going to Mongolia of all places and ministering there. She had established some some good connections and and even had uh, a ladies group there. And and I kind of sensed that she wanted me to to get in line with that. I really wasn't all that interested because I was teaching and coaching. I have one, thanks. I was teaching and coaching and. Uh, I was happy with what I was doing. <clears throat> and uh, so I was I was away at the Oregon coast, uh house sitting for some people, and and it just kept getting stronger and stronger about Mongolia. And I sensed God was calling me, calling us to go to Mongolia, to be missionaries to Mongolia. And I had a hard time seeing that. I d- didn't really want to see that. I didn't know much about Mongolia other than it is far, far away and it is cold, cold, cold. It's one of the reasons we live in Florida today is because we spent time in, in Mongolia. But So I was kind of arguing with, with God. It's not a good idea because uh, he, he knows a lot more about what's going on than I do. I, I mean, like, I, I was... I think I was 52 years old at the time. And at, at 52 years old, I thought I was either too young or too old. I mean, I was, whatever a missionary is, it wasn't me. Um, but finally, when I got quiet enough to hear from God, He assured me, and I don't mean I heard an audible voice from heaven, but He assured me that if I would be, if I would be obedient to what He was calling me to do, that I wouldn't miss anything, and really that was that was my uh, concern. That here I was at an age where I'm almost ready to uh, to you know start enjoying some of the things I've been working for my whole life for, and now I'm going to Mongolia. Uh, but I finally gave in, listened to the Lord, and I, I'll tell you things just move so supernaturally once once. I got online with what God was calling me to do. So I I knew I've heard from from God. Uh, we went to a conference and got confirmation from that. Just out of the blue, someone uh ministered to me and says, uh the Lord the Lord wants me to tell you that if you he he loves you and because you're obedient, you're not going to miss anything. Well, that's almost word for word what I had heard. So now I am pumped. I am ready to go. And about three weeks after this conference, I had a stroke. And I end up in the hospital. Um, it's hard to go on a mission when you're in a hospital having a stroke. Now, I, d- I tried not to believe that, but, uh, I mean, all the symptoms were there. I, I was partially paralyzed. I, I had double vision. That, that was the weirdest thing because my doctor had a kind of a bald head and he looked really funny because one head was exactly, I mean, you couldn't tell which one was the real head. They were, they were both real. Uh, but God healed me from that. And here's, here's the point I want to make. As I was, as I was laying there in that hospital bed, I started to see myself 
in the mission field. To see myself actually uh, being active again. Because I knew, I knew I had a choice to make. That I could either spend the rest of my life needing constant care, needing a wheelchair or, or whatever, or maybe even dying right then. I, I knew I had that choice. Thank God that I had some foundation of the word of faith at that point, and, and I was, I was pulling in everything I had, and we surrounded me as much as we could with people who were gonna speak life and not death. Even out of our own family, there were people meaning well who uh, were talking about all oh, the good programs they have for handicapped people. Oh, don't say that around my wife. Because she was, uh, she doesn't take kindly to that. No, we won't, we won't need, uh, special programs. We're going. <clears throat> and we did. God healed me. God healed me quickly. <clears throat> In fact, it was, it was funny. We, uh, we went to Hungary where, uh, Marta's mother had had a serious car accident just at the same time. <clears throat> Here I'm recovering from a stroke and we go to Hungary to take care of her mother. And she's taking actually take care of both of us as, as we're both recovering. Uh, and, and so we were there. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting better. The double vision is, is gone now. I can, I can start to move. I'm doing pretty good. Everything, everything's working. And the Lord led us to do some, some crazy things before we left there. We opened a bank account in, in Hungary. We, we opened a post office box in Hungary. That doesn't make sense. We're, we're going to Mongolia. I'm not going to Hungary. But, and, and I, cause I hadn't started to see the whole picture yet. You know, when God, Opens the door or starts you on the path. He, I don't know that he's never done it for me, but he doesn't show you the whole picture. Probably because most of us would just run away and say, "No, that's no, that's not possible." Um, so, you know, we were still raising money to go to uh, Mongolia. We hadn't hadn't thought about moving to to Hungary, and uh, but you know, we we found a place. That actually, we went out the night before we had to come back to the states. To, to pack up and go to Hungary, to Mongolia, uh, the Lord led us to go out in it, to the the apartment uh, place next door to where uh, Marta's mother lived, and lay hands on an empty building that was for sale. It had been sale for sale for a long time. We hadn't seen inside. We laid hands on it, and I just prayed, Lord, if you need this for the ministry, we claim it now in Jesus' name. That's it. I didn't fast and pray for three days. I didn't, I just, a simple prayer in our pajamas at midnight, you know, uh, and, and I think maybe if people would have thought it, they'd have known I was still recovering from the stroke maybe, but I just, I, I, we just did that. Within three weeks, we had the money to buy that property. We're still putting together our money for, for, uh, uh, Mongolia, and I, you know, in my mind at that time, it was, well, for the ministry. Yeah, that's not me necessarily, but somebody can come. This would be a great building. And, uh, later we were able to go there. We had not seen the inside, and it's probably a good thing God kept us from doing that, because, uh, uh, we probably wouldn't have bought the place if we'd have seen the inside. It needed a lot of work. But the, the point is, 
uh, we we gradually started to see things. One one you know a little better vision as we go on. The entrance of His Word gives light, and the more light you get, the better you can see things. So it's important that uh, that you get the the light of the Word of God flowing in your life on your projects, on the things that God calls you to do. Uh, but the the thing as I was in that hospital bed recovering I did not let go of what I could see I could see my because I had already developed that picture I saw myself as a missionary and and I didn't see myself needing a wheelchair or need needing constant care uh, on the streets of Mongolia I saw myself walking and and teaching and and I you know in not with my physical eyes obviously but but with my spiritual eyes that, that God opened that picture for me to see that. Once you have that picture, once you can see what it is you're supposed to do, it's so much easier to, to get it done. Now, you know, the Apostle Paul saw a lot of things. Uh, we just read a quote from him just a minute ago, but uh, I want to look at, at the life of uh, David. Now, you know, most people are familiar with the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and, uh, and how David uh, faced Goliath and the things he said. You know, obviously, uh, David was building a picture of, of what was going to happen and, and had already uh, had help with that because he had fought the lion and fought the bear and, and went to King Saul and, and King Saul was convinced, you know, maybe this kid can do this. You know, he's a kid. There's a whole, the whole Israeli army that's there that's afraid to go up against this giant. But the thing that, that David said when, when Saul said, okay, but here, take my armor. And David tried the armor on. I have a picture of him, with, you know, with a sword dragon on the ground and the big floppy helmet and everything. But David said, I can't I can't fight with these. I haven't tested them. It's not that he wasn't willing, but what he had tested was that slingshot and that staff that he carried with him. And another way to say that, I can't see me defeating this giant with your vision, King Saul. And see, we can't win our battles by, by trying to follow someone else's vision. And, and we know how David went ahead and, and uh, slew Goliath and, and they chased away the whole Philistine army. But I want to move forward in David's life a little bit. Um, and, and we want to take a look at when now he's not a teenager anymore. He's, he's got a small, a small army that's following him. He's running for his life from King Saul who wants to kill him. But I also want to point out, uh, before I forget that, that, you know, when we're pressed into time to fight, we always go to the weapons that we're most used to using. David couldn't use Saul's armor. He used his own weapon. And sometimes we're pushed, pushed into fight. Some people go with the fists. Some people prefer guns and knives on the streets nowadays, it looks like. Uh, if you're, if you're, Good with your mouth, you can maybe talk your way out of some situations. I know a lot of times in, in, when I was younger, uh, I always had a good, clever response when somebody would say something bad about me. 
The problem was that it came about two or three hours after the situation had ended and they weren't there anymore. So uh, you have to learn to, to rely on to get the Word of God in because I'm much better now at drawing on the Word of God. I didn't even know the Word of God back then. But uh, we we go what we're used to. When that sponge is, is goes, it, whatever's in that sponge comes out. So if we go to 1 Samuel chapter 30... And we're going to look at David again, but now he's not that teenage boy. Things have changed for David. And, uh, well, let's start with verse 1 in 1 Samuel 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. Sounds like Portland right now. And had taken captive the women... And those who were there, from small to great, they did not kill anyone. That's important. But carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. They didn't know they'd been taken captive. They were just gone. Now, think about what they're seeing here. We're talking about the things we see. And what what must be going through David's mind and the minds of, of his men that are with him at that time? And now, we know, because we can read in verse 2, that they didn't kill anybody. They just took them away captive. Um, but David had no way to know this. And, and David couldn't see beyond the circumstances that they... You know, when they, when they got there to Ziklag. So, um, but I want, I want to look at, he's in Ziklag, but where is Ziklag? Why is David in Ziklag? Because, uh, Ziklag was in Philistine country. And if you know anything about this, the Philistines and the Israelites were not friendly with one another. They were at war. Uh, Goliath was a Philistine, and, and he uh, he was part of that Philistine army. So he uh, he is there, and Achish, who was a king in in that territory, gave Ziklag to David. David is a man again with a small army. He's running for his life from Saul. But what David would do, now he was, he was pretending to be in, in step with the Philistines. But he would take his men out and lead raids on, on enemies, enemies of Israel. But he wouldn't leave any survivors to tell anything about, uh, what, what he was doing. So he would come back with all this spoil and everything and, and, the Philistines would think, hey, this guy is great. He really does, uh, he really is on our side, isn't he? Um, but that's what he was doing, but now, and that's what he, actually what had happened, he was on his way back to join the, the other, uh, parts of the Philistine army to go and fight against Israel. And the, the princes of, of the Philistine army wouldn't let him join in. So that's when he went back to, to Ziklag and found it burned. And so in, uh, in verse 4, 
It says, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people of, spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. You know, people talking about stoning you put, could put a little stress on you. You know, and David, David was, was stressed. But look, look at this. But David strengthened, some, some uh, translations say encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, there are times, and, and maybe you experience this since uh, there's a lot of uh, isolation and, and separation going on wherever you're living right now, uh, sometimes it seems like you're all alone. Sometimes it seems like nobody else wants to do the right thing, that you're the only one that uh, that has is thinking clearly to the point where you may be wondering, questioning whether you are thinking clearly. And David strengthened himself, and we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And that's spending time with the Lord, spending time getting His Word in us. Um, but one thing David always did, he always, he always asked, he always asked, Lord, should I pursue? And he did that in, in uh, verse, verse 8. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David got a word from the Lord that helped him to see what the outcome was going to be. And David was obedient. Now, David had his faults. David uh, would probably be in a lot of trouble if he was running for office in the United States because he had some, he had some baggage to, that uh, wasn't real popular, would be popular here. But he, he was anointed king of Israel. And he always, whenever he did something uh, bad, he would always go to the Lord and repent. Some people tend to run away from God David always went to God. So, verse 9, it says, David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and the 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Now, if if you think of that in context of of what we're talking about in in seeing things, these guys were tired. They'd just come back from a, a march. They had faced, uh, had seen the their city burned and everybody gone. They were exhausted. They couldn't go further. David couldn't see them being of help if they went on. So they stayed back and and they were able to lighten their loads and leave him with these people so they could go on and have more freedom, travel faster, and, and be, be less encumbered in the fight. Then, uh, so they, it, it goes on, tells how David found out where they were and, and, and all that, and then that, verse 17, then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. I just thought that was so funny. The, the people that should have been there fighting, that probably had the best 
would, would give them a, a bit of an advantage, they, they got on their camels and they got out of there. 400 young men. Anyway, that's, I just thought it was interesting. So verse 18, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that they had driven those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. In other words, those guys don't deserve what we got. We did all the heavy fighting. Uh, We'll give them their wife and kids back, but no, none of this spoil. They didn't earn it. David said, verse 23, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter, but as his part who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. Now that's that's so important because sometimes we have an idea that, that unless we are behind the pulpit, unless we're leading praise and worship, unless we're doing some uh, whatever in our mind is, is a big thing for God, uh, that's what's important. What's important is to be where God puts you doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, the people who, who, clean, who clean the church, and I, I'm kind of big on this because I was one of the people that cleaned the church. When I first started... Uh, in ministry, I was assistant youth pastor, and I was also head janitor of the church. And so, you know, straight, putting chairs in a straight line is a big deal to me. Uh, making sure the things are clean. Making sure the restrooms are clean. There was a study, I don't know if it's still valid, but back uh, 20 years ago, the main reason, the number one reason that people would leave a church were the restrooms. Can you believe that? But so so but those things maybe they're not as flashy maybe they're not as noticeable you don't get your your name in the church bulletin because of it but they're just as important as the person who stands up here and delivers the word of god it's because he can't do it if you're not pre- if the place isn't prepared for him to do that in a in a pleasing manner to god then it's it's not as effective as it should be so everything uh, it says, as his part who stays by the supplies, uh, he who stays back and, and takes care of the church, who locks up the church, who opens up the church, who vacuums the church, who cleans, who takes care of the yard, whoever who goes out and visits people, uh, things that are not noticed by the general public, those are just as important in the eyes of God. But it says they they recovered much more than 
than they lost. You know, when we, we talk about, you know, when you're obedient in these smaller things, it's when God opens the door for you to take this next step to the, to the next thing. But it starts with you being able to see yourself as God sees you. That, that is so important. How, how do you see yourself? How do you see the world around you? How do you see, uh, your future? And, and, uh, don't pretend to be somewhere where you, that, that you're really not. You know, we were in organizations, uh, faith organizations that talked about prosperity, and, and I believe in prosperity, but sometimes people would go into debt for a nice car or a fancy watch or ring, nice clothes, to, sh- to look like they were, uh, big faith people. And, and it was false. It was phony. It, it would eventually fall through. So if the thing is, wherever we are, we need to start where we are. Because if we don't start where we are, we stay where we are. And we don't really, now we can put on, we can fool people sometimes, but you can't fool God. Amen. So, um, I want to, you know, I think as Psalm 23 talks about, uh, this is just a good illustration in my opinion of what, how, how we see things. In Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, it says, He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, some people think, oh, that'll be so wonderful when we get to heaven. That's not talking about heaven. You're not going to have enemies at your table in heaven. Okay? Uh, it's talking about this, this earth life. And it says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, we talked about the things you focus on being, being drawn closer to you. When that table is set, you have a choice. You can either focus on those enemies that are there watching you. Ooh, what are they going to do? This, this doesn't look good. Or you can focus on that table God has prepared for you and enjoy what God has, has given you. Um, it's important that we, we develop the ability to see beyond what we can see. You know, Jesus is the one example we really haven't used much in, in this short series. But Jesus said he could not do anything unless he saw the Father do it. He didn't say anything unless he heard the Father say it. Now, if, if Jesus can't do anything without hearing or seeing from the Father, it's pretty important that we make sure we we get the right vision before we proceed and just run off with with half of the uh, half the message we know that everything Jesus did he saw it first and and because he would he could see it he was able to do it and and it says he couldn't do it unless he saw it you know he would go into places uh to where where there are a lot of well you talk about uh 
when he went by the temple there by the, the pool and, and there were sick people all over the place. He went in and healed one person. I'm speaking Hungarian here. That's one in Hungarian. One person. Uh, and, and then left. That one person healed. What, what about all those other people? They needed healing. Obviously, God showed him this one and this way and, and that's what Jesus did. You know, sometimes we have the, the attitude that, well, if I had enough faith, boy, I could just go in and empty out the hospitals, the mental, the mental wards and that kind of thing. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus only did, Jesus went, this is amazing. I, I teach a lot on Mark chapter 4, but right after Mark chapter 4 is Mark chapter 5. Just figure that out. But in, in Mark chapter 4, he sailed across and, and healed the demon-possessed man, got back in the boat, and sailed back to the other side. He did went through that storm where they almost died and, and uh, healed one man and turned around and came back. And then, and then uh, ran into Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood and just one thing after the other. But it was just... It, it wasn't... Everybody that came to Jesus for healing got healed. But Jesus did not go out and heal everyone that needed healing. Amen? So it's, it's important that we, we see, we develop a keen vision, and, and the vision will come mostly, more powerfully, I guess is a better way to say it, by getting the Word of God because His Word gives light. And in His, His light, when we get His light, it gives more light. And the more light you see, uh, the more light you have, the better you can see. So, uh, oh, there's so much more that I, I would like to leave with you, but, uh, uh, we're gonna have to leave it there for now. Talking about, uh, Paul, talking about, uh, different, different, uh, People that, that, you know, Paul saw some things. You think about what he, he went through being, uh, being shipwrecked and snake bit and beaten and, and, and all that. He said, oh, it's a, it's a small momentary thing, you know, just no big deal. Because he could see other things. He, he could see beyond what he was going through. And that's what we need to be able to see, especially during what they call this pandemic. We need to be able to see beyond the chaos, see beyond the the things that, that maybe we think are government restriction and everything. What is God doing? Our eyes need to be on God, on His Word. And, and I've, we've heard several prophetic voices saying basically the same thing lately, that the main way that you're going to get through this, stay close to God. Uh, stay close to God. Get His Word in you. Be around those who are like-minded, who are going to help feed what what you believe, what what agrees with the Word of God, and find out how God sees you. Not how the world sees you, not how the enemy wants you to see yourself. God sees you as a victorious overcomer, able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? And that's one of the things we, we confess every day. 
that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is He who's in me than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against me can prosper in Jesus' name. And, and it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to, to when you start to see it. And I, I, my prayer is that we all start to see the victory that God has for us in, in uh, what's, what's ahead for this, this nation and the world. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Father, for being our teacher. Thank You that we are learning how to see beyond the obvious. Lord, that we can see uh, You in everything, Father. We thank You, Lord, that You're teaching us and guiding us. And Lord, that we, we earnestly listen for Your voice to be our guide. We draw on the Holy Spirit to, to teach us and guide us and help us, Father, and we need your help. This country, this world needs your help. And we thank you for it, Father. Help us to be in the right place at the right time doing what we're supposed to be doing for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.